0: Butchery in the middle of Yerushalayim may be less appealing. Uh, people don't think uh, quite what it would be like. I just remind you of the fact that uh, the Rambam and the Mord in the, the guy who's when they asked, when he tried to explain what the Ketoret is, you know, the, the, the sacrifice of incense, the Ketoret. He said that the Ketoret came... To push away the oppressive smell of korbanot. Now I'm sure that the Ramam was talking about blood, right? Blood, you know, is a problem. Blood. If you have large quantities of blood, it's very hard to maintain a kind of uh, a a serious aesthetic, you know, position. It's um, it, it just is terrible and even though there was a drain right in the beta mikdash that drained the blood out of that place oh you never thought that there was blood <laughs> <laughs> that you could kill all those animals and there wouldn't be any blood well <laughs> so that's spritzing spritzing is at least a small amount but there they, they was like the whole if you slaughter an animal Uh, something that you could probably do via YouTube or something, Uh, you see that large animals have a lot of blood in them. And that blood has poured out of the animal. Now, it was caught in these kinds of terreens that they had in the Beit HaMikdash. And then a tiny bit was spritzed, but the rest of it had to be done away with somehow. The way it was done away with was there was a drain next to the Mizbeach, next to the um, next to the altar which drained the blood out of the Beit but that doesn't mean that it was all drained out. I mean, The drain itself was made out of stone. What? It went down into the silhouette. You know, there was like a river and it went into the river, so, so uh, that's also not so good. But in any event, there was an issue there's an issue which we in our, uh, you know, every place we go, we, we spritz uh, smells around like that's a whole life. We cover smells with other smells. Uh, so we would not do well. I can imagine everybody bringing a carbon has one of these spritzers in their pocket, and they keep spritzing around. It would be awful. It would really be awful. So that even though we all are, want the be Dash, I mean, really. And even though we dab for the and we for the Korbanot um, all the time, certainly and Shabbat, we daven Musav. Musav is only there's only a Korban, Right? There's only this Korban that we're thinking about. Nevertheless <coughs> nevertheless, it's hard for us to kind of put the Korbanot into a modern day into a modern day perspective. Uh, which is what we've tried tried to do, what we're going to try to do today. Uh, you know, uh, Shimshon Rafael Hirsch, who wrote, uh, you know, a very interesting modern commentary on the Torah, which uh, many people, especially of uh, German origins, like a lot. I mean, it's, I never got used to it exactly, but but this is what he said. He has an interesting, an interesting comment. He said, um, he says, if you if you look at the way korbanot are translated, the word korban, the way the korban is translated, he says the translations are not so good. He says why? Because um, because one one translation of korban is sacrifice. Sacrifice means you give up something, right? You give it away, you sacrifice something. And he says that's not what a korban is. The other commonly used translation is an offering. An offering is, means uh, like a present, a gift. You're bringing a gift to God. But okay, I mean, you know, like, uh, do they accept checks in heaven? Or... Uh, Plastic uh, credit cards? I mean, why do you have to bring gifts to heaven? And uh, that's an offering. So, Rav said that the correct understanding of the word Korban is to come close, to come close to Asadish Bhagavat. That's lit kareh, right? Okay, uh, like, uh, as long as I, I have no experience, like I never gave a korban, I never visited a korban, I don't have anything about it. So, I, I can't say that Rav Hirsch is wrong, that it's not something that brings you closer to God, but I, I don't have a way of, of feeling that, I have a way of feeling that. I remember that, you know, after the Six-Day War, yes, I actually remember that. And after the Six-Day War, there was this great discovery that we made in Israel that the Samaritans, Samaritans who lived in Shechem, there were also Samaritans who were, you know, after the 48, when Israel became split and and Shechem belonged to the Jordanians, there were Samaritans who unfortunately found themselves on our side. And they were unable to participate. That was like a diyut. They were always... But in 1967, after 1967, on Pesach according to the Samaritan calendar, which is not intercalated, it's not like our calendar, so Pesach moves around. So it was uh, a couple of months before our Pesach that they announced that they was going to be they were going to bring the carbon Pesach. They were, every year they brought a carbon Every year they roasted it, they ate it. So. So we, I mean, the circle of people that I uh, had anything to do with, we all wanted to go and see. Imagine, you could see a real pass Pesach being, being given. Of course, since the Samaritans were not exactly Jews, I mean, they think that they're Jews, but we think that they're not Jews. You know, like which I guess produces a certain kind of schizophrenia in the, in the Samaritan world. But they bring sacrifice, they bring a carbon Pesach sacrifice before Pesach. And this, this year that I'm referring to, it was two months before. So of course, all the Haredi unhappy people, they said, oh, you can't go because it's idolatry. So the question came, so we said, okay, we'll ask the chief rabbinist. And this is like a national a, a, a question of national importance. And the chief rabbi at that time was Rabbi Unterman. Rabbi Unterman was a very worldly man, you know, who had previously been, uh, uh, I, I don't know, I think in, in Manchester. I think he was a, a Dayan in Manchester. He spoke English and he wore one of those top hats, you know, that the English rabbis will want to wear. So, all well, it all, He was the worldly man that we were going to ask, should we go, can we go to watch the Korban Pesach? And interestingly, all at the time, I didn't realize it was so interesting, I just thought it was annoying. But uh, interestingly, his answer was, we are not ready for Korbanot. It was the way he looked at it, the way he looked at it was, I think, was like, why do you want to go? Why do you want to go to see? You want to go to see how to do it? So then maybe next year you'll do it? So he was opposed to that. He said, you know, we're not ready. We're not ready for for Korbanot. So that uh, this question, this question of what Korbanot really are is a question that has perplexed... um, uh, the Jewish people for at least a thousand years since the question has been asked. So now look, you all know, you all know, or you should know, that the Rambam in the Moran Nebuchad, in this book called well, The Die to the Perplexed, the Rambam, of says, says that the tendency to idolatry is built into us. We, we, we have certain tendencies that are not that are not so good. I may mean, just remind you of Kayin. The Hevel, you know, Kayin represents a, a, a negative tendency. That Kayin had a problem. In order to solve that problem, he just killed his brother. It seemed to him, to Kayin, to be a good solution. So he, so we have these tendencies, and one of these tendencies that we have is to be idolatrous. Now, idolat, being idolatrous just means that you have, You don't get something. It doesn't mean that you're doing something that looks on the face of it so terrible. I mean, idolatry could mean could mean that, that you serve the sun and the moon. Now, why would your person serve the sun and the moon? Well, he might say, God gave the sun power and gave the moon power. The sun has the power to keep us alive, and right? without the sun, we wouldn't live. And the moon has power to determine the tides right? The waters go up, the waters go down. So, if God gave the sun and the moon power, this this is the Rambam. The Rambam says, everything I'm saying, the Rambam says. He says it better, but this is what he says. He says, since God gave power to the sun and the moon, it makes sense to us to give kavod to the sun and the moon, to worship the sun and the moon. This the Rambam calls it, this is the big mistake that the people made in those days, right? When uh, Enosh, Enosh was the son of Sheikh, who was the son of Odom and Chavah. You remember the story, Kayan the Hevel? After Kayan is killed by by Lemech, a lot of names here, Kayan is killed by Lemech, then Odom and Chavah have another child to take the place of Hevel, and that other child's name was Sheth, right? Sheth. The other child's name was Sheth. He had a child named Enosh, and Enosh, Enosh knew his gra- his grandfather. His grandfather was Adam Arishon, and his grandfather certainly knew about God. Didn't have any problem with idolatry, and yet the rabban says that the grandson was the first idolatrous person in the world because he made this. Ta'ud He made this terrible mistake. Terrible mistake meaning, you know, like they say in, in Yeshiva Smith for Efrain there's no answer. If you come and you say, you come and, you come and say, I wanna worship the sun and the moon and the stars, because God said worship them. How could you get out of that? I mean it's just it's just impossible. Not even Avram of Vinu could get people out of that. Because beyond convincing the people that there's one God, which Avrupa was able to do, you had to also convince them that they should not be interested in any other form of God. Now think of Yati this you know it's almost Pesach. You think of Yati this dishraim Taro, couldn't convince him. You could not convince Taro that he should change the way that he acted his entire life, even though he may have been convinced that there is one great God above all the other gods. But that doesn't mean that he should stop worshiping, or necessarily mean that he should stop worshiping the gods that he worshipped for his entire life. So the Raman says we have this terrible inclination to Abodhazara, and the way that the Torah was going to help us to cure ourselves of that is by giving us korbanot. Because all the of the Abodhazara give korbanot. And we also will give, this is the part 3 of the third part of the guide, chapter 46. Everybody knows this, everybody knows this because the Ramban takes the Ramban to task and disagrees violently with this idea that God could give us something uh, in the Torah, give us a mitzvah that is designed to fix our psychology. That seems like really... Uh, like, uh, like you read it in one of his magazines at the barbershop. So the Ramban was terribly uh, opposed to this idea and fought vehemently with the Rambam on this, on this matter. So in order to understand... In order to understand a little bit more about korbanot and what they might... What the korbanot might mean, I would just like to mention to you the following. Firstly... Firstly, that... The, that uh, uh, then we'll take a look at the, uh, the first source. Well, let's look first at the Ramban. The Ramban that you have on the sheet. The Ramban's introduction. This is the Ramban's introduction to the book of Ayikra. You know that the Ramban in his commentary wrote an introduction to every one of the books. Actually, he didn't really write an introduction to the book of Reshit. He wrote a very long introduction... About the Torah, what is the Torah? The very long introduction, and then in his introduction to Shemot, he says that Breishit, he says that Breshit, the first book of the Torah, is about um, is about creation. The second book of the Torah is about Geulah, redemption. The third book of the Torah is by Yikras. So look at see what he. What, let's at, see what he says. I say for you see it. The first source of the sheet. U Tarat Kohanim, Bahawim. Vaya it's also called Taratkohanim by Hazal. Yevaivo in Yeneya Corbanot Kula. And in Vayikra we're going to learn about all of the korbanot or Mishmerat Hamishkan. right? Mishmerat Hamishkan, you know the Prosik says Kishmeru. You have to watch over the korbanot, especially the korbanot sibur, right there, are two major korbanot sibur that are given every day, an olat, olat tamid in the morning, and an olat tamid tzorayim and the Torah says that about these korbanot there has to be shmirah. shmira means every korban whoever brings the korban has to be there where the korban is a sacrifice the, well, that, you have to you have to be in that place so uh, a korban khibur, a korban that is brought by the entire community of Israel right? who's supposed to stand there who's going to be there so the Nevi'im the, 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 uh, according to the Rishon the Nevi'im organized mishmerot like groups that would go every two weeks to the Beit HaMikdash and watch the korbanot so that's what he's talking about there's mishmeret mishkan. That Shemot. Right? The book of Shemot is about exile and redemption. Agulabimenu bimenu. binyan ol mo'e. Then we finish that book of Shemot uh, uh, by talking about ol mo'e. V'chavod Hashem Hashem et HaMishkan and the honor of glory of God filled the tabernacle. Siva'u V'kobanot. So this is a great idea that the that the Ramban has. The Ramban says, you know why the Haggadah Yikra after after Shmot? Because the end of Shmot talks about how Kavod Hashem. Unspecified. You get the idea, right? But I, I, don't, I can't really describe it in any way. But Kabod Hashem filled, filled the Olam eight And since the Kabod Hashem filled the Olam eight on one hand, and if you remember what the Rambam said about Avodah on the other hand, the Rambam said everybody has this tendency in him to, to, to do Avodah Zarah. So then you sort of have come to an impasse. It was. In the world, there is now an oil mo'ed. Who can go to the oil mo'ed, according to, to the Rambam? Nobody. Nobody can go, because the oil mo'ed itself demands such a high level of purity, such a high level of tahara, that how can you expect there to be people who would go there, who could go there, who might go there? This is this is what the, the, the Rambam says. And therefore... Therefore, he says, "You need the korbanot, kaparalahem, v'lo He says that's korbanot. Korbanot is what makes it possible for people who are uh, who are, have a blemish. There's something wrong with them. They have this tendency to do or to to do other other notes, they wrote, and, and, and things that are, that are not are permitted. Nevertheless, there's a mechanism that allows them to come close to the Shekhinah. And that mechanism is called Korbanot. Korbanot are the things that make it possible for a person with a blemish to come close to a Tabish to the Sheena. That's what he says. He, the, Ram, the Rambad, says. And so, he goes on and says, And he commanded the Kohanim, who lead the way to Haj Kari that they should become holy. In other words, that in the book of Ayyikrād discusses what they should do, because Hashem, you're not allowed. To connect Tuma to the Beit HaMikdash. So, symbolically, you are living in a world of purity, even though the Kohen is also a person who has deficiencies and lacking. Nevertheless, if he follows the instructions of the Book of Ayikra, then he can lead us into Kedushah Betara, and bring us closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Says here, this is the language that's used when uh, Moshe Baby said to B'nai Yisrael, you can't go further than this line. You can't go up on Harsinai. Only I can go up on Har Sinai." In other words, kedusha, kedusha implies limits. Kidusha implies boundaries. Just as you know, people like to talk about that in regular life. Certainly, it was part of the deal with Korbanot. You might say, you might say to take a stand against Nadav Aviv. What does Nadav Aviv say? What does Aviv say? We love this business of being with Kedusha. We love the idea that we could be with Kabod Hashem, and therefore, we're going to go all the time. We're going to go even when it's not permitted to go. We'll go to the Kodesh Kodashim because it's the most wonderful place in the world, even if the day we're talking about is not Yom Kippurim. So that this idea, that that uh, that uh, the second idea that the korbanot uh, bring out in us, is limits. Right? You can't go there. there are things you can't do. You could redefine it as being a wonderful thing to do. You could say it's the best thing possible. What could be better than going into the Kodesh Kodashim on Tuesday? The next Tuesday, I'm not ready for Yom HaKippurim. Is that he's better? No, you can't do that. You can't do that because part of the deal of allowing us into the world of Kedusha is preventing us from going there all the time. Because we have to recognize the fact that somehow, in a different kind of language, we all need a Tikkun. We all have to be fixed up. And we have to be prepared. And we can't just go to a place which is a wondrous place because it is wondrous. We can only go there if we are prepared to be there. And that's why the Kohen Gadol was taken away eight days before Yom HaKippurim and he, was, and he studied. He studied the halachot and he did the Avodah in the Beit Abedash in order to prepare him for himself for Yom HaKippurim. And that's why Nadab Abiyah were punished. Not because they wanted to do something that could be defined as bad, but because they allowed their negative nature to take control of themselves. Even if they wanted Kedusha, it didn't really matter. It didn't really matter. They were gone. They were gone. And so, he goes on and he says, There There are boundaries. The bear of Aaron, a chicha, like a la codes, rebate la tell that only on yom haki purim, a la kaporet, a shalaron, the loyamutki, el hashem ot, with a family this is the Rabbin's theory that Muhammad Har Sinai, Muhammad Har Sinai, right? The, the event of God coming down on the mountain and meeting up with Bnei Yisrael in some way, that Muhammad Har Sinai was the model, was the model for, for the Mishkan. That was the Mishkan, and that's the Beit HaMikdash, that it's the meeting place of God and Am Yisrael, but of can't go there wherever they want to. Even at Harsinai, Moshe Rabbein told Bnei Yisrael, hey, don't go beyond this point. Don't move beyond this line. If you do, you'll be severely punished. Right? So, Yi Yisrael, this is what's going to happen if you deny the idea of limits, of boundaries, of up to here and no further. If you deny that idea, if you... De- if you deny that idea, you're going to be severely punished. That's what the Rabbat says. So that's another idea. Right? You have to have shmirah, You have to have Kapara. And you have to have Gvulot. These are all the things that the Rabban thinks derive from the idea of Korba. This is the idea. This is... He's talking about an idea. Then he says, uh, I'm now on this two, four, six, eighth life and the says word. the second word. <laughs> and then he goes on to explain how the book of Vayikra has certain other halakhot that are connected to Tuma and Tara and Kibisha. So if I ask the Rabban, if I ask the Rabban like what's korbanot? Then I thought what, what are these khorbanot? Khorbanot are the intermediary between the world that I live in and the world that I could have access to. I live in a world of tuma and lack of kedusha, and I have access to a world where khorbanot Hashem is dominant, the honor and the glory of God is apparent, is aware, it's in the Beit HaMikdash, and the thing that, that ties it together, that makes it possible for someone who is from that world to have a moment in this world or that world in this world, right, is, uh, is the korban. That's what the Torah. That's what the Torah says that the korban. So he doesn't talk so much about the korban as an activity, but he does talk about he does talk about the uh, the korban as an intermediary between the mundane world, which has good things in it, bad things in it, right? But we know that uh, we've already admitted to ourselves that some of the bad things in the mundane world are are there for for everybody. Everybody has to put up with those mundane uh, uh, things. But in the Beit HaMidash, where the Kavod Hashem is apparent in one way or the other, right, in the Vayetri Show, there were actually miracles that took place daily. It was hard to forget that Kavod HaShem was somehow involved. And by Sheni it was a little bit different, okay. But, but By Mishon was the, the real McCoy. And in the real McCoy, the presence of God was, was very apparent to everybody. So we had to be very careful when we approached that world, right? Somehow the world of God Eden, the world which we were kicked out of, because we did pass muster. So this world of, of Kedusha, of Kovach Hashem, according to the Rabban, this world of Kovach Hashem is, uh, is, me, is uh, mediated. Oh, what a great word. It's mediated by the Karbanot. It's like the Karban says, Okay, without the Karban, you really have no right to be here. But with the Karban, we'll let you in. Right? Because the carbon produces, at least for the moment, an ultimate uh, kapara, ultimate kind of atonement, only tone for the moment, right? You know, it's not, you have to live up to it. But for the moment, ultimate atonement. It seems to be similar to the Ramas. It's similar to the Ramman, why? The Ramban says it's a kapara for, for some problem that we have inherent, and the Ramban says it's a kapara. for... Yeah, but I think most people understand, I mean you could say that, I suppose, but most people understand the Ramman as being, uh, like, you know, if you're a drug addict, so you take methadone. Like, like, you don't get exactly what you want, but it's something that does something similar. You know, so it's like, the, the great thing about methadone is that it's prescribed by a doctor. So the and the, the other karma stuff karma. you buy in the street. So the carbon is not really the real deal according to the Rambam. The well, Rambam well, well, I, I wouldn't say reason. that. I've not finished with the Rambam yet. But, we'll, but, you know, just hold on. I want to read to you something from the Siphas Maharam. This is um, not for the bracelet. Well, I'm sure you've heard about who probably did not dance in (laughs) Kikar Even if he made it to Kikar I'm not sure he would have... Uh, There's a book called... um, There's a book called Sikhot Marajan. Things that Rav Nachman said, but that he did not write down. They were written down by his Talmud, Rav but they were said in an off manner. Like, you know, they were walking in the street or something, and Uman... And, uh, you know, Rav Nosin said, How are you, Rebbe? And the Rebbe said something clever. So Rav Nosin ran to write it down. Because, you know, sometimes in Mille uh, Alma, when you're talking about regular things, you say something that's very smart. So Rav Nathman couldn't help himself. He always said things that were very smart. And, and Rav Nosin was there to write it down. So in this book called Sichot Harad, in uh, section 12, good bet. this is what he says. This is what Rav Natham says. Well, we're going this like a big jump from the Ramban to Ravna, like 500 years, maybe a little more. 500 years a long time. Not that I really feel it yet, but <laughs> I think it's a long time. So listen what Rav have says: Elu the Yoda Nam the thing about Rav Nathan was, Nachman, one thing about him was brutally honest. Brutally honest is something you don't usually find. In, in teachers, in, uh, in rabbis, you don't find that. You know, everybody is trying to fool anybody else. But not Rabdata. He was never trying to fool anybody. So listen to what he says. He says, there are people who want to be good people. I mean, that's all they want. They want to be good they know that they have to do things right. They have to do things right. So he says, And be involved in the service of God. He says your people feel like, like they just can't do it. You know, they go to Davin and it's not so good. They're going to do a mitzvah and, and then they do it. But they don't really do it. They don't really get into it. And this is how Rav Nachman starts out. He looks at the, at the people who are his people. And he says it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult to be very serious about what you're doing. I mean, you can't confuse, I think you can't confuse this with, like, you know, just making faces or contorting your body. I mean, that doesn't make it into anything real. He says, They, they, They find it difficult to serve God. They find that difficult. קשה להם לעשות כראוי דע שזה בעצמו שהם מתייגיעים ולהוטים לעשות איזה עבודה או לקדש עצמו באיזה קדושה אך או פי שאינם יכולים לגבר לא לגמר כראוי זה בעצמו שהם מתייגיעים ולהוטים אחרי זה הוא בחינת just a second he says he says even if you can't do it even if you can't do the mitzvah properly even if you can't stand before Kodesh Bokal and do whatever he's supposed to eat a piece of matzah or to shake a lulah or to say all the things that God wants you to do, you can't do it. just the fact that you want to do it even if you can't do it but the fact you want to do it makes you special. You're in there, according to Rav Nachman. and he says this is similar to Zeba atzmosheh uh, mityagim. You see, I'm in the fifth line. Zeba atzmosheh mityagim uluhotim acherazehu korban korbanot. This is what a korban is when you sacrifice yourself, you want very much to do the mitzvah, and even if you feel you haven't done it, that is already, a, what they would say, say today, a badrega. You know, like, it's a step. It's a, it's, a, it's a position. You're someplace. You're not no place. You're not a total failure. And he says, and he quotes <laughs> a pasuk. Ki alecha haragnu Kolayom. Kol we were killed. We killed ourselves all the day. We are like the sheep that are brought to slaughter. Sheep brought to slaughter. Those are the Tikunim is part of the zohar the korbanot. But what are we talking about? What's the Pasuk talking about? The pasuk is talking about sfilah, And you know that sfilah, Shakrit and, and Mincha and arvid are somehow connected to are connected to the Korbanot Sibur that were brought one in the morning, one in the afternoon. The one in the afternoon was each into the night was a Hainu Shirot Simli when you want a daven, you want a daven, but you can't. You stand there before a is box. You want to do a, you want to do the mitzvah. You want to daven, and you're thinking about other things. There's no one who can say that that never happened to them. I mean, nobody in the world. So you, 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 you really want a daven, but you just can't. It doesn't work. It doesn't come out, especially in the world we live in, where everything has a time, a beginning time, an ending time. Right? You know that, like, sometimes the Hasidim, there were always Hasidim who didn't like that, didn't like time. Didn't like to be controlled by somebody else's clock, even if it was a heavenly clock. Okay, for some people it's fine, you know, they they don't mind, but some people really have difficulty with that. And he has to work really hard when he goes to feel they so with So what is korbanot? What are the of by the way, you talk about something that doesn't exist, the are like up. How so? Because there's a physical side to it. There's a doing side to it. There's a, like it changes your relationship to God to something that you can always do. What can you always do? You could always breed an animal. You could always have the animal slaughtered. You could always do Sri that Dada. You can always do that. And therefore, even if you don't make it to the higher levels, they're the higher levels of uh, of, the, uh, uh, of devotion. You don't make it the high but you're, but you're in the passion somehow. You're, you're also doing something. So you go to Shul, and you know that it's not as good as it should be for you. I'm not talking about the Shul. It's not as good as it should be for you. But you go, and you do it, and you have the sitter and you're, 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 this, is, this is his understanding of a mitzvah. His Rav Nachman's understanding of this is that you don't always do it with, with perfection, but if you do it with devotion, you've also done it. And he said, that's what a korban is. A korban is facing the reality that you you might not be worthy of confronting that Kabbalat Shabbat, right? Of, of the Korban Hashem in the in the in the oil of in the, uh, the, the Beit Hamidrash you're not worthy of that but you are acting in that direction you want to be worthy you couldn't get to that point that's what a, a Korban is according to Rav Nachman he says Bukhmocheim Bekola Avodot Vakidoshot She'adam yeah. rogzele Kadeishat Shmo Avopi She'eino Zorchecha Kadeishat Shmo Avopi She'ina Yigiya Va'atzma so you see this Rav, Rav Nachman. I would say, is with the Ramban. Rav Nachman is with the Ramban. There's no difference that according to the Ramban, the korbanot prepare you for a confrontation with Akadosh Baruch. And according to Rav Nachman, according to Rav Nachman, the korbanot prove that if you are enterprising, if you try, if you work at doing the Mitzvot, then you're doing it. You're already doing it. You may not have reached the pinnacle of achievement, but you're doing something. You're doing something that brings you close to the idea of Korban Hashem. Finally, I would like to tell you what I think about the Rambam. Guys, right, the Rambam, remember we start out the Rambam. The Rambam says, in the Moran of the Rambam says that we have this idolatrous tendency. Remember? It was only a half hour ago. We have this idolatrous tendency. And the Kodesh Voh, who gave us the Mitzvot of Korbanot, in order to help us. It will help us because it's like we're satisfying this tendency in a more sacred manner. In a more sacred manner. And therefore there are people who who said about the Rambam, who said about the Rambam, that the Rambam really didn't think that we would rejuvenate the Kovannath. Because after all, today the Gemara says, We've kind of killed the inclinations of others. desert. Now, of course, you know everybody. You know, there are these kinds of people who, for whom everything looks bad. You know those kinds of people. So, if you think everything looks bad, and if you think that uh, they were just as bad as we always were, and they were all idolatrous, okay, so then maybe we'll meet Karponoth again. But what if you don't think that? If you think that we have the ability to control our negative side and we might even be able to watch television with impunity and we might be able to read books without becoming enslaved to terrible ideas. Like if you think that and if you have the Ramban so the Ramban would seem to indicate and the Ramban sort of hints at this that you don't really need Korbanos. It's not just I mean, we were punished. Uh, Churban by Cheney brought an end to Abbaldat Beit But this uh, end has gone on for, for over 2,000 years. And nobody seems to be too distressed about it, you know. It's fine. We're doing very well. I mean, there are Jews all over the world who are as firm as can be, you know, who, who keep every imaginable Chumrah that has ever been imagined. Basically, like, it doesn't matter. I always try to explain that keeping chumras not, is not a spiritual thing. It's only a political thing. And so, why not? So why not keep that? I mean, why discuss it? It's kind of uh, you know, something you can't... Uh... So years and years ago, when I was uh, an impressionable student someplace or other, I read this article. It was written by a fellow I didn't know but who went to the Yeshiva of which is a school that I went to. So I figured, I figured that I should read the article. So he made an interesting point. He said, how is it possible that the Rambam might have thought that the Korbanot would not be rejuvenated if he spent so much time in the Yad And in the Yad Ha'chazakah, explaining all the rules of Korbanot. Wouldn't you imagine that that would be kind of a waste of his time? If there's not going to be a Beit HaMiknash of Korbanot, are not so important. So why did the Rambam spend so much time teaching us about Korbanot? So, I have to make a, a point uh, that I think is true about uh, the two kinds of yeshivot that exist in the world. What's called... the uh, what they call the Lithuanian yeshivot. I'm only talking about yeshivot, kidoshot now. Now that we know that the zathilu community also has yeshivot, kidoshot, so we can use that term, right? It's not a bad thing. I'm talking about yeshivot, kidoshot. There are two major kinds of yeshivot, kidoshot. There are Lithuanian yeshivots and then there are non-Lithuanian yeshivots. Now what's the difference between them? It's easy none of the way the yeshivas see Talmud Torah more as a miksovah. In, in other words, why am I learning Torah? Because I want to know the answer to the question. Now, what's the question? If a milk of falls into a pot of flesh, it shows. What do I do? That's the question. Now that question has an answer. And if you learn in that kind of yeshivas, you will spend time trying to find out what the answer to the question is, in case somebody asks you the question. Okay? Now what's a Lithuanian yeshiva? What's a Lithuanian yeshiva? If that's a non-Lithuanian yeshiva, what's a Lithuanian yeshiva? A Lithuanian yeshiva—they're not interested in the answer to the question. They're interested in refining the question. They're interested in understanding where there is a difference of opinion between two Tanaim, how that could possibly have happened. How could it have happened that two Tanaim would disagree with each other? And that's why if you're after Lithuanian Rashi Shiva, I mean, now I'm going to just generalize terribly, but, uh, and it's probably not true, but some of them, certain. I, I had a question, I had a question that I wanted to ask somebody about Bach to and I turned around and showed, and there was a very uh, important Rashi standing behind, behind me. So I said, oh, what, what about my question? I said to him, he looks at me, um, he knew exactly what I was talking about. He knew exactly what the issues were. He knew exactly what the Gemara said. And he knew what the Shulchadar said. He knew it all. And he said to me, you better ask a posek," Because the way he looked at it was, that his competence was not in answering the question. His competence was in refining the question. So, I ask you about Torbanos. Who's doing this better? The person who brings the Korban or the person who thinks about the Korban? The person who's thinking about the Korban is a very high level kind of thinking. I remember, this is my last story for tonight, I remember that I was in a lecture given by Rabbi Soloveitchik of Boston. You have to say that in Yerushalayim. In Boston. He was not in Boston at the time. He was in New York. He was giving a lecture. And he said this. He said, Rav Chaim. Rav Chaim his grandfather. Rav Yosheveh Salavitch in Boston. His grandfather's name was Chaim Salavitch. Chaim Salavitch uh, is known as being a, a, a revolutionary kind of thinker. A person who was able to thoughts that other people were not so able to, uh, to do. He, says, he said he was talking about Eretz Israel and he said Rav Chaim was the greatest not, I'm not quoting I may be misquoting but the idea is right. Rav Chaim was the greatest Zionist of all the Zionists. What a thing to say. Everybody knows that Rav Chaim was opposed to the Zionist movement who was opposed to Zionism. And uh, my wife had, a, had an uncle whose name was Mordecai Kaplan who at the age of 20 decided some yeshiva in Lithuania to pick us up and go to Eretz Yisrael. So he gave himself a goodbye present. He went around to all the Russian yeshivas and all the Rebbe's, and he said, I'm going to Eretz Israel, Give me a bracha. You know that kind of style? So he told me, he told me, that when he went to Rav Chayin, whether went to Reb Chaim, Reb Chaim said him, he's also to go to Eretz Yisrael, they're all non-religious, they're all confused about communism, and they all want to deny privileges to the, from Jews. So Mordechai Kaplan, my wife's uncle, looked at him, he couldn't believe it, and needless to say, I guess, you know, he wasn't so enamored by the answer, he went to Eretz Israel and he lived here forever, for, for many years. What was it that Rabchai was talking about? So he asked the Rob. He said, What are you talking about, Rabkhai? Rukhai was a was a Zionist. What a Zionist was he? He he was against Israel. He was against going to Israel. He was against people uh, uh, making the trek in that direction. He was against it. How did you say that he was a great Zionist? He says So the Rob said, No the law Hilchot Zuraim, the laws that apply that apply to Eretz Yisrael, the agricultural laws that apply to Eretz Yisrael, no one knew them as well as Rav Chayim. So now you may think that this is some kind of fata Morgana, something that is hard to imagine, but the real world, the real world of Korbanot is in the halachot of Korbanot. In the distinctions in the questions, in the issues. That's the real world. Anybody can bring a korban. And so the Rambam intuited, he didn't say this, but he said, look, the idea of korbanot seems to be about negative personality traits that we have. We have, each one of us, has negative personality traits. The, 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 the Rambam said, however, I so saw HaKadosh Barba gave us korbanot. But well, the didn't say, do what they do. There's a Torah of Korbanot. And the Torah of Korbanot is what distinguishes us. And therefore, the Torah of Korbanot, according to the rama will live. No matter what the position of the Beit HaMikdash is at a first particular time. The Korbanot lives because we, we learn about them. Because we try to understand about that, and that understanding is that all learning sort of connects you to the mind of, to the mind of God. So, I mean, even though I, mean, I don't like to say that. But, you know, there's some kind of intelligence that we have that can connect to divine. And that is found in the Korbanot, in the Rambam, paragraph after paragraph after paragraph, and therefore, the Rambam didn't say that God told us to give the korbanot that they give or to do in the Beit HaMikdash what they did. What the Rabbam said was that the actual doing of the korbanot comes to protect us from negative influences we shouldn't do, we shouldn't be negative about ourselves However, the language of the korbanot in the Torah in the Book of Ayikra and in uh, in, uh, in Hilchot, uh, all the Halachot of Korbanot that the Ravnav collected, that language is God's language. It's not the language of idolatry. It's the language of divinity. And that language, that language is what uh, makes it possible to maintain the notion of Korbanot, even in our time. So that the Raman says that the Korbanot teach us about how to live in the presence of God, Rav Nachman said. Nachman said that uh, that even the the effort, the effort to come to God with a, with something, with a korban, is richly rewarded. And the Rambam, it seems to me, said that even though the idea of, of bringing a korban has something to do with idolatry the laws of korbanot, the rules of korbanot, the statements that we learn about the korbanot, that's all God's work. That has nothing to do at all. That has nothing at all to do with our innate tendencies to do the wrong thing. And so the Rambam and the Ramban on this point, at this point, uh, uh, might even agree, you might be able to draw them closer together. Because the korbanot, the korbanot are about... Um, the way God thought about it. And our actions have to reflect the way that these notes are presented. So you remember, there's the Ramban, there's Rav Nathman, there's the Ramban. Have a wonderful show.